when we started the series on godliness. In pursuit of godliness. When I got to the second message, sometimes when you're trying to, you ought to try it sometimes. Try preaching. <laughs> try putting a sermon together. It's a lot of fun when you get used to it. Sometimes you just put a computer in front of you and you start typing certain facts. And so that's why I come up with a whole lot of bullet points at times. And I want to share all those bullet points with you today. In pursuit of godliness, this is message to the mystery of godliness. How many of you know there's a mystery to godliness? Amen? A mystery to godliness. But you've got to approach the word mystery by the standard of the Word of God. It's not like a mystery like murder she wrote. I don't know why my wife enjoys murder she wrote, but she does. She likes to watch it while she goes to sleep. It's tough <laughs> at times. Anyway, murder she wrote. There's a mystery there, and, you know, she lives in Cabot Cove, which I call it the murder capital of the world because somebody dies there every week, right? It's supposed to be a small town, but there are killers in that town, right? Somebody's going to die in that episode, and this woman's going to clear the mystery up. She's going to find out who killed the person, right? So that, that's one type of mystery. The type of mystery, the, anywhere in the Bible that you see the word mystery, you've got to change the way you think. Because mystery, every time it's used in the Word of God, talks about what was hidden in the Old Testament, but revealed in the New Testament. There is no mystery to what Jesus wants to do for the child of God. Because they say this way, in the Old Testament, the New Testament is contained. In the New Testament, the Old Testament is explained. So the mystery is revealed in the New Testament. It's not concealed. Amen? All right, we're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 11 again. We read it last week. We're going to read it again. We're going to, we're going to bounce around in a little bit. Father, once again, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you that it is power. I thank you that your word is life. I thank you that it does a work in us. If we'll just receive, Father, what your Holy Spirit is trying to put into us today, it'll change our lives. We'll leave here a different person than when we came. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, amen, He's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. If we brought nothing into the world... And we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
But as for you, O man of God, or O woman of God, can you say amen? Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, steadfastness, fastness, and gentleness. Now, the synopsis for this message, I'm going to read it for you word for word. The goal of this message on the mystery of godliness is to compare the law of the Old Testament or covenant with the grace brought to us by Jesus Christ in the New Testament or covenant and to contrast how people attained godliness under the old with how we can attain godliness today under the new. The introduction is going to be a little lengthy. The points won't take long. Just follow along with me here. Mere external religion without true godliness is like having a well-done-looking hamburger on the outside that is raw on the inside. I don't know if I told you this, but my grandmother used to make fried chicken, and she'd make rice or potatoes and gravy. I'm from the South. That's a staple, right? Fried chicken is a food group all unto itself, right? So when I was quite young, I was living in an apartment by myself. I mean, I think I'm I, 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 I don't, shouldn't get off and all this, but I stole my mother's car, left home at about, I say I stole my mother's, I left with my mother's car. Mine was broke, I was leaving, hers was there, I left in it, okay? Um, that's the logic of a 16-year-old, right? Went and got my own place, and uh, uh, the rent was good, little one-bedroom house, and, and, and by God, I'm a grown-up now, I want fried chicken, and I want some gravy, and uh, rice or potatoes or whatever, only there was a problem. I didn't know how to cook it, okay? I'd seen Grandma cook it, but didn't pay enough attention to what she was doing, right? So I went to the store. I got some chicken, and I got me a little bit of flour, and I got me some Wesson oil or whatever, something to cook it in, you know? And Yeah, and so I fried this chicken, and I got it real hot, right? So what I ended up with was burnt chicken, on the outside, it looked like it had been irradiated. And on the inside, it looked like a freak movie. When you cut into it, you thought I was butchering the chicken, right? So it looked like it was burnt on the outside. It wasn't burnt all the way through. It was bloody. It was raw. It was nasty, right? It's just nasty. It's kind of like, it's because some people eat a raw hamburger, won't they? But I got advice for you. Don't eat raw chicken, all right? <laughs> You might get away with eating raw hamburger meat, but don't eat raw chicken, right? So mere external religion without true godliness is like having a well-done-looking hamburger on the outside that is raw on the inside. I got to tell you this one more piece. It doesn't pertain to the sermons. Extra, I won't, I won't charge you for it. The gravy, the gravy. I had all this grease in the pan, right? It's that deep, right? So I wanted to make gravy, so I put two cups of self-rising flour in that pan. Now, I'm not joking with you when I tell you that came to life. It, it came to life. It was crawling out of the pan. I'm not joking with you. I'm telling you, my, my grandmother told me she laughed till she couldn't breathe right. She said, son, you know, you get just a little grease in there and you just sprinkle a little bit of flour and stir it in as you need it and pour a little milk in there. I said, I didn't know all that. I had that much grease, I poured in two cups of self-rising flour, and it rose from the dead. I'm telling you, I had to grab that pan and throw it out in the flower bed in front of my little apartment building, and the manager came over and said, what is that? 
and made me clean it up, all right? So I didn't get to eat the chicken. I didn't have any gravy. But, but follow this with me. Mere external religion without true godliness is like having a well-done-looking hamburger or a piece of chicken on the outside that is raw on the inside. Listen to me. It can look ready, but nothing is cooked inside. It has no substance. You cannot consume it. God's goal for his people is to pursue godliness, getting it right. It's important. We think it's not important, and sometimes we'll use grace as an excuse not to get it right. And that's not what God intended. Matter of fact, God's got a word for us today. How many of you want a word from God today? We're going to get there. I just started writing these bullet notes. Listen to this. We have defined godliness as a lifestyle that is consistent. We have defined godliness as a lifestyle that is consistent with the character of God. In these messages, that's what we're doing, right? Godliness is the opposite of worldliness, which is a lifestyle that's inconsistent with the character of God. We need to live lives that are consistent with the character of God. Paul told Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus, to teach his people how believers are to conduct themselves as part of the household or the family of God. Isn't that what we do here? Isn't what we've done from day one? Amen? Learn to live our lives by the Word. It's that simple. Doesn't get, that, that's not complicated. Learn to live your life by the Word of God, right? Paul, saw, Paul also said he wanted Timothy to explain the mystery of godliness to his people which was a doctrine that everyone should agree with because it is the truth of God. There's no argument here today. There's no debate. It's not an open class where we're going to bounce ideas off of each other about why I'm wrong because I'm not wrong. <laughs> I'm not wrong. Not here today. I'm not because I have the Word of God, right? It's the Word of God. In the Bible, the mystery refers to something concealed in the Old Testament that's revealed in the New Testament. We already covered that. Paul says there is a mystery about godliness that was unclear in the Old Testament that now has been made clear in the New Testament. This is the case with many truths that are revealed only in the New Testament because the Old Testament, we didn't get the whole story. We didn't get the whole story in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is critical and foundational to our faith, but it was incomplete in terms of God's full redemptive plan. It was incomplete, right? Are you, are you following with me? Am I throwing too much at you in too big a hurry here? This is the case with many truths that are revealed only in the New Testament because the Old Testament, we didn't get the whole story. I already read that. The Old Testament is critical and foundational to our faith. We already read that. What is this called? How many of you like to know some of the fancy terms they come up with to tag these things? This is called progressive revelation. From the New Test Old Testament into the New Testament, it's called progressive revelation. You get that? Progressive revelation. We see this because the Bible was not written as one book at one time by one person to cover all things. It was written by about 40 different authors over a long period of time. Can you say amen? When it comes to the mystery of how people can be made right with God, and live godly lives, the Old Testament told only the first part of the story. So this mystery of godliness that was a shadow in the Old Testament came to full light in the New Testament when Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh. All right, now it's going to start getting interesting. In order to understand the mystery, 
You have to understand that a shift occurred when God moved from the Old Testament to the New Testament. If you don't understand the shift, you won't understand the mystery. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 13, it says, In speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. The Old Testament, the law, it's become obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. In other words, it says that when God introduced the new covenant of his grace in Jesus Christ, he made the old covenant, the law of Moses, obsolete. Watch this. This means that if you're living in the Old Testament, that is trying to please God by what you do and don't do, you're living under something that has been made obsolete because of something better that has come along. Now, we're going to do three observations today and dwell on them for, for just a few minutes. We're going to have communion today, and communion is a good thing to follow this with because how many of you know God can make changes in our lives in a good communion service? Amen? You may not always see a physical miracle where someone receives sight that was blind, but miracles happen in every communion service without fail. Miracles happen. Things fall away. Things become new. Our life changes. God touches us. God helps us. God does surgery on us. He removes things that don't belong there. Amen? All we've got to do is be obedient. Can you say amen? First observation. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of grace. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of grace. When Jesus appeared, grace appeared. John chapter 1, verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So when Jesus appeared, grace appeared. Now, it doesn't mean that grace didn't exist in the Old Testament. We know it did. If you don't believe grace existed in the Old Testament, Testament go ask David. There was no one in the Old Testament that knew how to receive grace from God like David did. I mean, David knew. David knew because he had a heart uh, after God. Amen? So he knew grace existed, and it worked for David. It worked for him. There was still a price to pay for his sin, all right? But grace worked for David. God did not reject David over his sin, all right? Even in the Old Testament, all right? It's not that grace didn't exist, like I said, in the Old Testament, when, but when Jesus came, he revealed God's grace to all men, according to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, Titus 2, 11. Since the grace of God has appeared to us, we're no longer under the law. Say that with me. We are no longer under the law. One more time like you mean it. We are no longer under the law. According to Romans chapter 6, verse 14, the law could never save anyone. Romans 6, 14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. When we needed, what we needed was a sinless Savior who came in the person of Jesus. So, first observation, Jesus Christ is the embodiment of grace. Number two. The uniqueness of Jesus Christ is the mystery of God. He's been revealed. The uniqueness of Jesus Christ is the mystery of God. 
True godliness is no longer found in a written code like the Mosaic law. Godliness is forever linked to the person of Jesus Christ. The mystery of godliness is Christ in us. The mystery of godliness is Christ indwelling in us. Since godliness is linked to Jesus Christ, listen to this. This is one of the most important bullet points I made that I wrote down. Since godliness is linked to Jesus Christ, our assignment is to become more like him. As long as we breathe, as long as we eat, as long as we sleep, as long as we put one foot in front of the other, as long as we live on this earth, our assignment is to become more like him. This is only possible because God command, God's command to us is to be holy because he is holy. According to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. It doesn't get any plainer than that. Amen. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now listen to me carefully. I think this one's going maybe even, even like the frosting on the cake. The job of the Holy Spirit is to make the indwelling Christ expand within us so that we are becoming godlier. It's all about getting to know Him better. It's all about getting to know Him better. You, you may be sitting there today thinking, there's no hope for me. You know, there's this thing in my life that's, you know, it's just, you know, it's got a grip in my life. It's got a hold on my life. I, I, I saw today while I was praying that the devil tries to, you know, even the children of God, he tries to get tentacles on their life. Do you understand what I'm saying? He tries to put tentacles on your life, areas of your life. And then grip and squeeze and hang on real tight and try to convince you that you can never be free of this one thing. But Jesus is there with you. Amen? And can destroy that grip. Beseech him in the name of Jesus and he'll do it. Amen? Watch this with me now. The job of the Holy Spirit is to make the indwelling Christ expand within us so that we're becoming godlier. The more Jesus occupies in our life, the more rooms, the more doors, the more closets, the more drawers, the more hidden boxes, different things in our life, the more we allow Jesus in those places, the more free you are. Amen? And the more godly you become. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you you can't be more godly. That defies the truth of the Word of God. And we should never allow anything to defy the truth of the Word of God. Amen? Third observation. All right, this is a statement that sounds like, it's almost like plain Jane. But listen to me. God made a new covenant with us in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to share some things with you about that that I think will help in, enlighten us because the more we learn about Jesus the more space he occupies in our lives, the freer we are to serve him and the freer we are of the things in this world that grip our lives and try to control us and try to maintain that grip and try to keep us from moving forward. Bullet statements. As we saw above, this new covenant of grace makes the old covenant of the law obsolete. The mystery of the new covenant 
is that we are rightly related to God by grace. It's by grace. You can't earn it. You're not, it's not like you're going to get good enough all by yourself, you know, uh, and, and, and then all of a sudden you're going to obtain it. Christ has obtained, obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he me mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. This is Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. And then in the same chapter of Hebrews chapter 8, you drop down to verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Now, that's the phrase that lets me know it's not just with the house of Israel, it's with all of us. Listen to me now. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How personal is it for God to come into your life and start writing things down? Amen? You know, you know what? And not, not only did he say on my heart, but he said on my mind. Where is the battlefield in your life? It's in your mind. But God says, I'll write there too. I'll write there if you let me. I will write there. And I will write here if you let me. You know, you know I've, I've been paying attention lately to apps that I can get on my phone. I got the English Standard Version on my phone, right, of the Bible. And I've learned that I, I can go there, and, and I can read through, and then I can stop and close it and open it back up where I left off, and I can pick up again. That way, I, I don't keep up with how many times a year I read the Bible through. I just read the Bible. It's not about keeping the numbers, keeping the pace, you know. It, is it a good idea to read the Bible through every year? You bet your sweet bippy it is. I mean, the more you can read it through, the better off you are. But reach, reach a point in your life where you're reading it, you're feeding on it every day, and you're not worried about how many times you read it through. Let God speak to you. I found out in that app that if I punch it at the top, it'll say, listen. And I tap on that. And I can drive down the road, and it will read the Bible to me while I'm driving. Um, on the weird occasion when I get on an elliptical trainer, it'll play it in my ears. I can listen to the Bible. You know, how many of you can multitask that and feed on the Word of God? You know, when you can sit down and give it your full attention, do it. But it still works if you feed on it while you're doing other things. All right? So you might want to consider that. All right, this is a stark contrast in the strict performance standards of the Mosaic Law. There were like 635, and if you broke one of them, you were guilty of all of them. And, and, and God gave us the law. Let me tell you what, it was a gift. God gave us the law to show us we could not be good all by ourselves. See, human nature has this mechanism in the side we, we want to have the checklist. We want to check the boxes. If I do this, 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 and this, I'm going to heaven. I can go to heaven. If I meet the standard, if I check the box off, God gave us a law to show us that doesn't work for us. We would need a righteous Savior to die in our stead for us to be able to go there. Amen? In the Old Covenant, it says, do this, do this, don't do that, 
Don't do that. You know what the new covenant says? This just tears my heart wide open. Think about it. The new covenant says done. It says done. You, you, know what, you understand what I'm saying? Let that pierce your heart today. The old covenant was a set of rules to do these things and don't do these things. And the new covenant is Jesus Christ says done. Trust him. Rely on him. Let him work in you. Let him produce himself in you. Amen? Or you're never going to quit that thing. That thing's never going to, you're never going to be free of it until you let Jesus set you free of it. Amen? Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's huge. That's giant, though. You got to have the want to. Don't let the devil destroy your want to. Amen? And then you got to rest in Christ, and you got to, like, bend the steel bar in your brain to let Jesus take care of the issue. Amen? All right. Jesus Christ is the only one qualified to be our Savior. Amen? He's the only one qualified to do this work on the inside of us. All right. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We are not to frustrate. Listen to this. This is, a, this is true of two things. We are not to frustrate grace by going back to the law. Do you know what that's identical to saying? We are not to, we are not to frustrate grace by going back to sin. Same thing. Well, you know, Paul said in Romans, he said, uh, you know, should I sin more so that grace will abound? Heaven forbid. Amen? You know, you know, well, you know so people can literally get a little upset and rub a little wrong, but, but I don't mind that. I'm not, I don't fear that. I don't fret about that. When we talk so much about holiness, you know, but, but we talk about it because I'm telling you, the devil will tell you it's not obtainable, but God will tell you it is obtainable. Why would God tell you you could have these things if you could never have them? Why would he tell you you can have this if, and, and, and then say, no, no, you can't have it? You know what? Even if you couldn't have it, our life should be a struggle to gain it every day of our lives, every moment that we breathe. Amen? Think about that. Stay in the fight. Amen? Stay in the fight. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That was unrighteous. That was us. Amen. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Amen. All right, I've got a couple, a few illustrations here, and we're going to have communion together. But listen to this. I'm going to, I'm going to share this with you. Just as it unfolded, watch this. How many of you know that there's uh, playoff games, football games today in the NFL? You know, it just doesn't matter to me like it used to matter. It just doesn't, you know? It doesn't matter to me like it used to, but listen to me. How many of you realize that it's a multi-billion dollar business? The NFL is a multi-billion dollar business. So, in football... What, what runs the NFL? Anybody know what runs the NFL? The fans, what else? There are other things that runs the NFL. You could say, 
advertisement, so money, fans, fans, money, all of those things. But, but boil it down. Boil it down because you need to boil. Do I know? Players, that's, that's part of it. You're all doing good. You're all doing good. Boil it down some more. Owners, boil it down some more. It, there is a common denominator for all of it that is astounding to me. If you removed it, it would be over. The game would be over. What? All right, watch this with me. In football, the ball. The ball. Good, the ball. The ball runs the entire million-dollar, multi-million-billion-dollar organization is a ball. A pigskin about yay big. Watch this. Everything that happens on the field is tied to the ball. <laughs> the ball, right? The NFL would be nothing without the ball, right? The players are paid millions of dollars to fight over the possession of the ball, <laughs> right? People by the hundreds of thousands pile into the stadiums or watch television to see these players fight over, over the ball, <laughs> right? All right, watch this with me. It's all about the ball. Take the ball out of the football game, and there's no game. Am I right or wrong? All right. Take Jesus out of the mystery of godliness, and there is no godliness. Well, you know, that's good. I don't care. I'm, matter of fact, I'm just going <laughs> to. I said, you know what? That, that's, that's good. I like that. Take Jesus out of godliness, and there's no godliness. Just like if you take football out of the game, there's no NFL. The whole structure will come apart. They'd have to create something else, right? All right, now, now listen. Watch this. The story of wash machines. I love wash machines. I threw a load in the, in the, in the washer last night, and I said, I can hit quick wash. <laughs> quick wash because, you know, 18 minutes later, I'm going to yank because they weren't real dirty. But they needed to be washed, right? I washed them. 18 minutes later, I threw them in the dryer, hit a button. 44 minutes later, they, they finished drying while I slept. Are you, are you following me? Watch this. Many years ago, our ancestors washed their clothes on a wooden washboard. All right? All right? Every time they did it, they had to roll up their sleeves and apply elbow grease. Right? Scrubbing hard because they were trying to make something clean that was dirty, right? Then came along washing machines. They have the same goal as the washboard, but something is different because now there is a new power at work, right? Making clean what was dirty. The old covenant was elbow grease in terms of trying to make sinners clean before God, it was people trying to clean up their mess with their own effort. The new covenant is the washing machine that does the same thing by a new power that is apart from our own effort. I'm telling you, I don't know how many times I've stood in Ruthie's kitchen and looked around the room and saw proof that God lives. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you see the gifts of even technology that God has given the world since I was a child, you know. Um, I, I never dreamed when I was a kid that one day I'd be walking around with a phone that could interrupt a church service. I had no idea. I had no idea. 
And yet, I've got one, and I keep up with you guys on that thing. I got a Bible on that thing. I've got an app called Beyond Sundays on there. You need to look at that app. That'll encourage you in the Word of God. It's technology. They're gifts from God, right? But the amazing thing about it is none of those technologies given to us by God, the devil, the, the devil has not pursued and tried to thwart them. Computers, you name it. Amen? We've got to trust Jesus. The new covenant is the washing machine that does the same thing by new power that is apart from my own effort. Now, I cannot give credit for this story. I, I don't know who, who told this story, but I, I wrote it down. I, I mean, I typed it in here because you've got to hear this because this will help. I, don't you think illustrations help us see, give us a picture? Amen. There was once a father who lost his beloved son, and then later the father himself died. He was very wealthy and had stipulated in his will that all of his expensive possessions were to be auctioned off. Maybe you've heard this story. I don't know. The auctioneer came and the sale began. The first piece we're going to bring out is a picture of the man's son, the auctioneer said, showing an old picture of the man's son who had died. Do I have a bid? Nobody bid on it because the buyers didn't come for that. You ever heard this story? powerful, isn't it? They came for some of the expensive art pieces and artifacts, so nobody was bidding on the picture. But then from the back of the room, an old man stepped forward and said, Sir, I was the servant of the man who died, and if nobody will take the picture of the boy, I want to know if I can have it. The auctioneer said, One more time, is there anyone who will bid on the picture of the son? And nobody bid on it. He then said, Sir, you may have the picture. Then to everyone's shock, the auctioneer then picked up his gavel, banged it down, and said, the auction's over. Everybody looked around and said, what? You haven't brought out any of the expensive pieces that are supposed to be sold. How can the auction be over? The auctioneer replied, the father's will says that the auction was to begin with the picture of his son, and whoever took that got everything in the estate. Sometimes we're like those buyers of the estate auction. We're going around looking for everything else to buy. But God's there saying, I've come to you to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly in my son. If you have my son, you have eternal life and all the riches that go with it. It's powerful. I don't know how old the story is or how long it's been around, but every time I read it, it gets worse. It cuts me right through to my core, you know. I think it's beautiful. Can you say amen? If we have Jesus, we've got everything. Here lately, I have been at a point where, you know, I'll get a phone call or I'll get a text, and I, I want those calls. I want those texts. I want to know when people have needs, and I want to know, you know, what we need to add to our prayer list and what we need to go after. But, and some of you have heard me say this, there's just been this deep gnawing on the inside of me to tell everyone to encourage them with these words. No matter what we're facing, no matter what's going on, God is bigger 
than all of it. God's bigger than all of it. And, and you know, we find ourselves in positions that, let's just face it, they're not fun. The Word of God does not promise you that life will always be fun. But it says, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I'm adding this paraphrase because I'm bigger than all of these things that you're facing, you know. Um, a friend of mine that you don't know um, lives in my neighbor, lived in my neighborhood and put his house up for sale. And he called me and he was frantic. He said, a real estate agent and some people showed up at my home to show the home. And they said it looks like someone blew up the interior of my home. I mean, you know, you're thinking, what does that mean? He said, would you please run over and go in my garage and shut the water off? I said, sure, you know. So I got ready. I ran over there, and I, I shut the valve down. I said, do you want me to look inside? He, he said, yeah. And I'm telling you, I opened the door. There's three or four inches of water in the floor. There is no, there is no sheetrock in the ceiling at all. All of the walls are damaged. Water's running out. There's an inch of ice on the windows. <clears throat> There's, you know, ice coming out of light sockets and stuff and upstairs. And, and, and people have known, you've known this can happen in Alaska. If it's 20 below and your heat goes out, it doesn't take long for your home to, to, to be really hurt. But I will tell you this. I've seen that before in people's lives and six weeks after they're finished it's all put back together it's just sheetrock and so but it the man on the phone was crying you understand you, you know what i'm saying and then he got there and we were walking through the house and we're diagnosing things and we're talking to the insurance agent and when he got off the phone i gave him a big hug and i said you know we, we'll, we'll pray about this but i want to tell you this here's what god's told me to tell you what he's been telling me to tell people. He's bigger than all this. God's bigger than all of this. I said, it's just not fun to go through it. Amen? It's not, not fun for your house to get frozen and water to go everywhere and, and um, sheetrock to fall off of everything. Sheetrock doesn't hold up to water real well. That's the rumor anyway, right? Um, and, um, but did I tell him the truth? God's bigger than all that. I said, you know, six weeks, two months, three months down the road, they're, gonna, they're going to put your house back together. They're gonna, I said, there's a company called Service Pro, and they'll show up and start sucking up water. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? And by 6 o'clock in the evening, Service Pro was in his driveway, and they had all these machines, and they're taking out water. A heater guy showed up and got the heater running again, so they started drying it out, you know. Is he having fun? No. But is he getting through it? Yes. So, we could take turns and we could talk about it and everyone in the room could come up with something in your life right now that's not fun, right? Is God bigger than that? All right. You know what we're going to do? We're going to have communion together. All right?